Chapter thirty four of Prophets, Priests, and Kings by Alfred George Gardiner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty four Robert Burden Haldane. Life, it has been said, is a comedy to him who thinks and a tragedy to him who feels. Judged by this axiom, Mr. Haldane is the man who thinks he bathes the world in wreathed smiles and floods it with infectious good humour he seems to go through life humming softly to himself toujours bien jamais mieux is his motto what a delightful world it is he seems to say and what a capital fellow you are and what capital fellows we all are it is like the comfortable purring of a cat on the hearthrug it fills you with the ecstasy of a quiet content everything is snug and warm the kettle is singing on the hob the fire burns brightly in the grate and though the wind howls and moans outside it serves only as a foil to the comfort within it is the best of all possible worlds he has always been so his mother with whom he lives will tell you he is always cheerful never worries and works incessantly this unconquerable good humour is perhaps less the result of philosophy than of a good digestion he comes of a hardy strain the haldanes were fighters in the brave days of old one fell at flodden and others also found immortality on the battlefield for generations they have been remarkable for their pedestrian powers mr haldane's grandfather thought little of an eight-mile walk even in his eighty-third year and there is a story that his granduncle having been prayed for by one of his clerical friends as thine aged and infirm servant suggested a little stroll from which the clerical friend returned in such a state of exhaustion that he fell into a deep slumber from which he could hardly be aroused in time for the service he was to perform mr haldane himself is credited with having frequently walked sixty or seventy miles in a day while his brothers are said to have established a record of a hundred and three and one-half miles under thirty-one hours his big alert frame and his massive neck suggest those physical resources which have made his powers of work and endurance possible nothing in the way of work can be done without a big boiler and a bull neck said a sea captain to me long ago mr haldane has both and his capacity for work has always been remarkable this physical energy is matched by a similar mental energy he has lived four careers philosopher lawyer politician and man of the world and has spared himself in none of them he is an intellectual steam engine when once he has started talking there seems to be no reason why he should ever leave off there is no end to him his oratory is like an interminable round of beef you may cut and come again one feels that the river of his rhetoric will flow on forever fed by a thousand inexhaustible rills the smooth wooing voice inundates the house with a flood of words the enemy attempts to dam the torrent in vain in vain does mr arnold forster raise his head above the flood and utter an angry interjection he is engulfed by a wave from the rhetorical ocean and the waters flow on in copious unconcern 
he has been known at the end of the second hour of a speech to start afresh with a pleasant remark on these preliminary observations on one occasion he went to a volunteer dinner and came away telling his friends that everyone had approved his scheme he did not know that the company had come together seething with objections and had been literally talked into silence and surrender it was said of gladstone that when it suited his purpose no one could wander more widely from his subject it may be said of mr haldane that no one can invest a subject in a more lucid fog a lucid fog i know seems like a contradiction in terms but no one who has heard mr haldane speak for say three hours will deny that there is such a thing the lucidity of his mind is as conclusive as the fog in yours the clearer he becomes to himself the more hopeless is your bewilderment if only one could feel that he himself was getting a little lost in this amazing labyrinth of locution one could feel less humiliated but it is obvious that the less you understand him the more he understands himself he smiles urbanely upon you and points the fat didactic finger at you with pleasant intimacy he does you the honour of pretending that you follow him and self-respect compels you to accept the delicate tribute to your penetration it is a comedy which saves him a lot of trouble there are some men who seem never to have known a joy in life and there are few who do not have their variations of temperature and their moments of depression mr haldane gives the impression that he has never known a sorrow that there was never a moment in which he was not walking on air in sheer exaltation of mind and body the atmosphere of flagrant enjoyment that he exudes must be an offence to the man of a melancholy habit of mind he cannot help distrusting such an apparently inexhaustible reservoir of cheerfulness no man he feels can be really so happy as mr haldane seems and since that is so it is clear that he is playing a part as for professional optimists said a distinguished philosopher of the opposite school to me one is always sceptical about them they wear too much the strained look of the smile on a skull nothing could be less true of the optimism of mr haldane it is simply a huge capacity for enjoyment fundamentally physical and having no relation to his conclusions about the universe it is customary to poke fun at his hegelianism and to treat his philosophic interests as a disqualification for politics if being and non-being are identical so runs the quip it obviously does not matter whether we have an army in being or an army in non-being but to mr haldane philosophy is only an intellectual exercise as chemistry was to the late lord salisbury or as theology and homer were to gladstone it springs from his sympathy with the german genius for mr haldane is teutonic in his love of abstract thinking and in his enthusiasm for thoroughness and exactness he turns always to germany for inspiration he went thither after graduating at edinburgh and his first literary enterprise was his translation of schopenhauer his dinner-table talk is full of german reminiscences and he never misses an opportunity of addressing german visitors on the terrace in their own tongue 
he is as great a favourite with the king as lord cross used to be with victoria but that fact does not exclude the kaiser from his opulent affections and the kaiser returns the feeling always receives him with enthusiasm and loves to show him his army and it is to the german army that he goes for ideas on one of his visits to berlin he said germany as all the world knows has much to teach military students and i am here simply to avail myself of the opportunity of studying her institutions before engaging in any tinkering of our own it is from germany that he brought the idea of a general staff with which he began his reform of the british army it must be admitted too that the type of his liberalism is german it is vague and indeterminate it breathes expediency rather than the compulsion of principle it approaches politics purely as a business proposition and seeks to establish national greatness on scientific and material rather than moral foundations it follows naturally that he was the standard-bearer of lord rosebery through the years of disunion and that during the war he was the chief author and inspirer of the liberal imperial schism his strategy was opposed to the strategy of mr harcourt and the pair were not unequally matched though in one memorable struggle for the soul of the eighty club i think mr harcourt showed the more masterly tactics that he is not lord chancellor is due less to himself than to the perversity and indecision of his leader lord rosebery played a part similar to that which eachin played in the great fight on the north inch described in the fair maid of perth the stalwarts of the clan kale surrounded him with loyal devotion death for hector barer son eichen was the cry as they went into combat but at the crisis of the fight after prodigies of heroism had been performed by others hector turned plunged into the tay and fled from the battle and hallow the wind in the person of stout c b was left master of the field his first act was to appoint sir robert reed to the woolsack he did not love the clan cohil it was a bitter disappointment but mr haldane bore it with his imperturbable air of enjoyment and took up his task at the war office with a passion of zeal that suggested that this was the ambition of his life there had been many new brooms at the war office but never such a new broom as this he swept as it were incessantly and as he swept he talked now to the public now to the army now to parliament his breezy confidence won confidence the world always believes in a man who believes in himself it is the first condition of success and mr haldane's faith in himself amounts to inspiration the world also loves a man who pays it the compliment of taking it into his confidence that is largely the secret of mr haldane's popularity he is always taking you into his confidence queen victoria's objection to gladstone was that he talked to her as if he were addressing a public meeting mr haldane talks to you as if you were the british empire and must be placated at all costs you may doubt his scheme but you cannot doubt his enthusiasm you may dislike his politics but you cannot help being moved by the deference he pays to your judgment it is by these methods that he has conquered the army you cannot resist a man who bursts with such enjoyment into the mess 
smokes bigger and stronger cigars than anyone else and obviously enjoys them more knows as much about explosives as he does about the westminster confession and with all these accomplishments does you the delicate honour of discussing his scheme with you as if your approval were the one thing in the world necessary to his complete happiness one of his predecessors at the war office speaking to me on one occasion about the difficulties of his task said what can you do with these infernal colonels who know less about war than they know about virtue mr haldane knows very well what to do with them he does not lecture them or hector them he talks to them as if he were consulting them and they surrender to his blandishments he yields on small things with such bonhomie that out of sheer chivalry they can't help yielding to him on big ones said one who works with him to me moreover they have had such an experience of war secretaries in the past that by comparison haldane is a jewel and they think that any change would probably be for the worse there is the reason why mr haldane has got his schemes through with such success he greases the wheels well these schemes may be good or bad time alone will prove them but to have got them through with so little resistance and to remain relatively popular with the colonels is an achievement in the art of managing men even when he disbanded the third battalion of the scots guards there were tears but few reproaches it was a courageous act for it brought him into conflict with the king and with his old leader the king pronounced a funeral oration on the guards and said he hoped to see them revived while lord rosebery forgetful of all the loyal service of his old lieutenant and remembering only that he dared to be happy without him tore a passion of indignation to tatters and then fell into dramatic silence to awaken later on in a passion about something else i am not sure whether mr haldane invented the word efficiency which has become the hardest worked vocable in politics when humpty dumpty explained how much he meant by impenetrability he added when i make a word do a lot of work like that i always pay it extra on that just principle efficiency ought to-day to be the most prosperous word in the language it represents the political gospel opposed to the fine old english doctrine of muddling through the phrase in which lord rosebery summed up the boer war but whether he invented it or not mr haldane is its recognized exponent efficiency and again efficiency and always efficiency it is the german spirit that he opposes to the french spirit of danton's axiom efficiency and ideas we have won a magnificent victory he said after the general election of nineteen o six what is it that we need what is it that has been wanting in the past i answer in a word ideas we have got the majority have we got the ideas one sees him pausing for the obvious reply not numbers but efficiency is his maxim in the making of an army and he pays himself a modest compliment when he adds i have never had a more congenial occupation than this attempt at reorganization and the introduction of science into the business 
it remains to be seen whether the german doctrine of thorough can be engrafted on the english stem of hand-to-mouth practicality and whether english liberalism could survive the infusion of bureaucracy which is the basis of mr haldane's clear thinking but whatever the fate of mr haldane and his army reforms may be we may be sure that nothing will ever destroy his indestructible complacency ministries may rise and fall army schemes come and go but his exuberance will remain toujours bien jamais mieux will be his motto and through all the cataclysms of politics he will still go his way humming softly to himself in sheer spiritual revelry End of chapter thirty four